Luke Edwards is a Melbourne-based educator, facilitator, musician and writer, exploring ways of integrating the best of science, theology and spirituality to the pursuit of being human today in a way that serves the greater good. Currently an educator with Edmund Rice Education Australia's Liberating Education Project, Luke's passion for integrating ecology with faith led him to study around the world and resulted in leadership roles in Catholic Earthcare Australia and the Earthsong Council. My conversation with Luke covered some of his deep reflections on personal loss, challenges of life that offer meaning, and how this guides his creative expression and influence in the world today. Welcome to Thresholds, Luke Edwards. Thank you, Kelly. It's nice to be here on the other end of the line in Thresholds. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Well, usually in these interviews, it's always wonderful to hear the stories of people's upbringing in terms of their religious or spiritual background, whatever you take to mean by that. Sure. Uh, so tell us a bit about that and maybe how that shaped you in the current fields that you're working in. Yeah, what a great question. Um, I would classify, and I think about this, I'd classify myself as a, as a cultural Catholic in as much as the world I grew up in was attending a Catholic primary school. Um, and the week would be punctured by, you know, mass uh, on site on the school grounds at the parish. And, um, that was a pretty regular rhythm and what it provided was a familiarity and a sense of belonging um, and quite a degree of comfort in growing up in that world um, so it was that was great it was lovely and um, but I, I did intuit as I reflect back I mean yes there was that sense of connection and safety but what I reflect on now is there was also something underneath it all that was pointing to something a little bit deeper. Um, you know, that these rituals were trying to, to give us access to something that, that was a bit mysterious um, in the best sense of that word. Um, and I think that's always stayed with me. Um, and interestingly enough, I wouldn't say that that sort of intuition and sense of mystery, to me, I didn't necessarily knowingly find that in, in, um, in the environment. It was just something that I, that I felt. Um, and as I said, it's always stayed with me. But from those young days, um, one of the strong recollections would be a sense of um, that social knit feel like of feeling connected to something that provided um, a sense of security and that you were part of something. Mm. That's probably the, the main, main thing that I think about. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because later, um, so you talk about these rituals and the mystery and going deeper and later it seems like a lot of your work has ended up being very closely connected to an earth spirituality. Mm. I'm thinking later you, you got involved with Catholic Earth Care. Yep. You had experiences uh, with Brian Swim, Thomas Berry, those sorts of thinkers yep. um, and others that you can talk about later. But yep. 
Um, so where along the line was there an experience, if there was an experience so, of you know, sacred earth? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because having said that, uh, I didn't really find that sense of connection in, in the environment. Um, I probably felt I, I could appreciate places of beauty. Um, but I wouldn't have necessarily appreciated that beauty from the sense of it being a revelation of God. Mm. Um, I, I subsequently came to um, see that. Um, so I think, and that transition into that realisation, it was probably um, that doorway really probably opened up when I was doing some work uh, as the World Youth Day coordinator in World Youth Day Sydney 2008. Um, where I was, there was a, a, a professional development presentation and the gentleman that spoke um, had a connection, I don't think was working with Catholic Earth Care, but was certainly um, leading, I suppose, with it throughout Australia, a sense of ecological consciousness from, from a Catholic perspective. And he started talking about um, Universe Story, Brian Swim, Thomas Berry, and a sense of this idea of an ecological conversion. And, and it was new language for me, um, but what he opened up was, was a, a, like a wow, and wow, this is amazing. And I had that sense of that classic sense of recognizing that we're all made of stardust. And so I had this sort of awakening and entry into this world. And so I started from that point on reading a lot of Dennis Edwards stuff um, and being blown away really by the fact that this uh, cosmos is just so you know I don't know amazing and mm -hmm. that we're all connected to this and so um, I was able to probably at that point marry that intuition that I named before that was sort of always present um, and seeing that reflected in in the world in 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 reality itself so um that sort of opened up that doorway was open and i and i dive into it mm. and um it yeah just opened up i suppose an awareness of as i kept saying reality mm. yeah um in my work i i get to basically teach in a way or, or expose people to the universe story and um, I'm always curious about how people like yourself have come to something quite new and yep. how old were you at that stage? Okay so I 2008 um, I would have been I was at 35 is that right? Yeah yeah that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so to come to this new story at that stage after you know a cultural catholic yeah. institutional church upbringing mm. it must have been something quite transformative and um, I'm curious about how that really sunk in like mm. how did this how did this um, so a lot of people need constant reminders and it seems like the path of your life thereafter mm. was maybe changed um, and yep. so how did that sink in for you was there a practice that you did or an experience? Yeah. Great question. Um, the sinking in bit, 
is interesting. Uh, one of the things that stays with me is um, I was at a, a, a retreat at uh, in Mulgawa in Sydney. And one of the other uh, people in the retreat who had been on this path for a lot longer than I had was reflecting about her experience in, in being on a retreat with, it might have been Brian Swim or somebody like that. And she asked of, of Brian, you know, gosh, you know, this beauty and this story that we're all part of, I feel like, you know, what can I do to, to be a part of this, to give something back? And, you know, basically the conversation led on to, well, what is it that you'd love to do? What's your greatest gift? And she ended up, well, I draw. And so she ended up, I don't know, making cards of, of images of the Blue Mountains and, and, and they became something that she offered back and people loved it. And um, so the sinking in bit for me, I suppose, is that recognition of, um, coming to know and understand who we are at our, as a, at our deepest level yeah. and um, coming to know that and then to give that back. Uh, so the sinking in is really a constant reminder about um, that to appreciate this story and the universe story. Um, and for me, when you ask me about what, that, what it is to sink into that, it's actually then about coming into knowing who I most deeply am and giving that back. Um, so that's a constant, constant journey. Um, and in terms of a practice, um, I mean, I, I meditate very regularly. Um, I find walking to be something that brings me into a space where um, I can meet that reality and, and meet its presence a bit without, without not being there, if that makes yeah. any sense at all. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the sinking in bit is, is a continuing um, invitation. And, and, and I see it as a capacity to hopefully be as honest as I can be with who I am and giving that back in whatever way I can. Mm -hmm. Some people I speak to who have had this traditional church upbringing and then later encounter the universe story and all of the, that, all of what that means for who the human is in the bigger story. Some people find that they no longer really need the institutional church or that that's somehow not coming from that same story or out of that story. It's coming yeah. from a different story. Yeah. You said that you could marry the two. Yeah. I'm interested in how you do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I've never felt comfortable, I suppose, either in, in not um, integrating the tradition, the best of the tradition. Um, because I've always, I think, had a sense that, as I was saying in the very start of our conversation, that there's always been something there that the rituals and the tradition itself has tried, from my perspective, tried to open a window to. Mm. So I've always had a sense that um, the tradition is trying its best as, and you know, it can only be an attempt to give us access to this mystery. So I've always been comfortable in um, in being open to to that, and 
in, in making that best attempt, I think there are things within the tradition that um, have been blinded by people's prejudices and um, um, that haven't been the work of the spirit, you could say. But um, in the main, um, I think the mystery that the church tradition points us towards or tries to make sense of is um, is there and yeah. that the you know, I think I can marry the two for me with things like um, a recognition when we talk about the Holy Spirit um, and and the life that that gives and the sense of energy that it gives that there's no limit to that. Yeah. And so that energy is, you know, I don't have a problem in seeing that as the stuff that is at the very heart of all life and all living mm -hmm. things. Um, you know, I see the whole rhythm of the life and death and resurrection of things very much obviously aligned with what's at the core of Christian faith. Mm. Um, I see, and the wonder, I think, of... of the tradition at its best is that it still continues to leave room for us to ask questions. Um, and so that when, we, when, we, when science, I think, presents more and more knowledge about what we know of the universe, my perspective of the best of our tradition is that uh, we can accommodate that. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I think about Jesus and the person of Jesus, I think about... Um, what we come to know about an ecological understanding of the world and what it is to become, you know, um, a person with an understanding of what it is to be a person in the world from an ecological point of view. Um, to me, that's the model of that is Jesus and who he became. And scriptures are full of Jesus being um, retreating to nature, um, using nature as a teacher, Anyway, so I don't have a problem in holding the two together. Um, however, in saying that, uh, and it has been my experience, but I've been in situations where people have shared with me, um, and it's not necessarily just in reference to their appreciation of the universe story, but how their experience of their religious life uh, from within the Christian tradition has been damaging that it has uh, been brought up with particular messages that have not been life-giving. And so for people like that to then encounter, who've had that experience, for, to then encounter a universe story that offers them a, a wider perspective that love is all around us and flowing, that I can see why um, that would be the dominant story and, and rejection of um, the tradition that they've been uh, given uh, received would be put to the back burner mm. yeah that's a pretty long response to your question <laughs> no that's brilliant and I'm sure there's more to say on that too just in terms of how you know you said you studied Dennis Edwards and he just provided so much yeah. in terms of the theological approach to you know, taking in this universe story is we are the first generation to understand this, you know, and, and so others too. Mm. I'm really glad you mentioned Dennis. I, I didn't know Dennis very well, but I had a great gift of being with him a couple of times when I was working in Catholic Earth Care and he, he led us on a couple of um, experiences 
And the one thing that will always stay with me about him was obviously his great knowledge. Beyond all that was who he was. Like he was the most, um, he just exerted care and he was so gentle in his manner um, and embodied everything that he was trying to teach. It was quite phenomenal. You know, it was just, it was, he was dripping in it. And yeah. um, that, although that was, you know, it was just really special to be, to experience that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it seems like you've had a few elders in your life that have really been grappling with these, um, these questions uh, about yep. how to either come out from a tradition or allow the tradition to embrace new wisdom or even to, to revive ancient wisdom that already exists within the tradition. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have been very lucky yeah. uh, to be alongside elders, as you put it. Um, and I think my reflection of that is what I've seen in these people, these elders, is um, their capacity. You know, there's very little gap between what they're saying and how they're living their life. Mm. Uh, um, and, I've, yeah, been really fortunate. Yeah, um, I was curious especially about your time serving on the Earthsong Council. Mm. And probably a lot of our listeners would be familiar with Earthsong, perhaps been to a retreat of theirs or read the journal. And I remember they had a column just about every edition about what are the roots that hold yep. um, from the tradition, the rituals, the images, the practices, and even the, the old teachings of the mystics, for example. Yep. So um, tell us a bit about your experience being on the Earth Song Council. Um, well, I mean, elders is another good word to link it. I mean, I was, I was sitting at the feet of these people um, and mainly women, I must say, um, who were pioneers. And one of the things that I would always stay with me in terms of the characteristic of these women mainly is... Um, my God, how how emboldened they were. There was something about them that um, they retained this gentle nature but a fierceness with um, the way they held their perspective on the world and what they were inviting people into and where we needed to go. And they were ahead of their time, our time. Um, and they were courageous, they were humorous, they were just full of life. And, um, you know, it was really uh, another very profound time for me to be around these people who were trying to lead, lead a particular path and call people towards it. And um, I'm sure those people that, as you mentioned, there are lots of people potentially listening who know members who've been on the Earth Song Council know what I'm talking about when I talk about that fierceness um, um, and that wisdom and pioneering spirit that they 
have and continue to have in, in what they offered the council mm. uh, and Earthsong. Um, yeah, and it was, I mean, the, the period of time where we were discerning, um, again, great wisdom and speaks to the whole notion of when things need to die and, and give space for things to be reborn. That discernment process about what is best to do for Earthsong um, and the way in which that movement came to its natural uh, conclusion was um, steered with an amazing sense of grace and wisdom. It was, yeah. If only we had people like that in other positions of, of authority and leadership that, so that other more people could be influenced by it. Um, it was really significant. Mm. So these are women who were sisters, really, from the, each from their own yeah. different congregations. Yeah. And you were sitting at a table with them. And they were, what, what was the journey, in your words, yeah. that you were pioneering it too with them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so where were they going? Where, where, where was the group going? Where was Ursula going? Yeah. Um, I th where Earth Song was going was it was trying to. It's such a good question because they were very. Um, uh, visionary, and my I suppose my fear not fear but my sense of that is that I wonder whether or not the vision that was being held that. They, we had people who were committed and behind and, and wanting to go where we were wanting to go. Um, but the rest of us, the majority, um, were, not, were unable to hear what was being offered and to respond. So um, we're being led down a path towards a, a shift uh, that we need to take but that I, I don't know that um, the majority of the community could take it, could hear it, um, wanted to hear it. Um, so in some ways that sounds really negative, but that's in some ways what was being named, needed to, to be named. And I think there's a reality to, to that gap. Um, so, yeah, it's, that sounds a little bit um, gloom and doomy, but I'm not wanting it to come across like that. I think there's just the reality there that um, we were being led to a place that we needed to go um, by a group of people. Uh, and I know I've said women a fair bit, but I, I, want to, uh, I don't want to try and recall the, the, the gentlemen that were in and out of, the, the chairs when I was there because I'll inadvertently forget somebody, but um, there was predominantly women, but there were some wonderful men, uh, elders, um, who, who actually, now I think about it, um, had a magnificent balance in the way in which, in who they were, um, between that, that strong, um, their own masculinity, but balanced out with a strong sort of feminine characteristics as well. 
Mm. Um, yeah. So I've jumped around all over the place there, but we were being led into a future that I think what it was wanting us to do, Sally, was reverence the earth to the point where we would let the earth lead us. Mm. Um, and, and the group, the council members were already pretty much in that space and we're wanting to cultivate an opportunity for people to, to come into that. Um, but I, I think then that message and that vision um, was shared by a few and became a bit too difficult to try and generate for others to, to be involved because they weren't hearing and seeing that message. Mm. I hope that's not too negative. No, well, my sense of it is it's maybe not, uh, not yet. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes when, when thinking is so ahead of the times, yeah. it takes a long time for the majority of us to catch up. And uh, yeah. as I said before, it takes constant reminders. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what you said about allowing Earth to lead us, yeah. uh, it's remarkable to think about this group of religious men and women who are taking that seriously and perhaps perhaps creating waves behind them that people can move into. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, I was on a call last night. Um, I mean, where I work, Edmund Rice Education Australia, one of the connections with that is Edmund Rice Education Beyond Borders, which is a global connection of um, any schools and ministries across the world that uh, informed by an Edmund Rice charism. And last night, the webinar was um, had Edwina Gately as somebody speaking, and the whole topic was spirituality, the spirituality of COVID-19. She spoke very passionately and poignantly about um, the need, this is a wake-up call, um, and we need to listen, and we need to go down, and we need to just stop and, you know, take take stock you know the planet's dying um what are we doing let's wake up all very true and you know on the back of what you just said about um maybe it's all a bit too soon this invitation to think in the way that we're being invited to through the council it does then make me think about um you know there is a school of thought which and i happen to be in it where this is that the whole um, pandemic itself is actually, um, I suppose, a, a reflection of, of the lack of balance mm. and, um, and, and, a, and, a wake, and a call to wake up. Mm. Um, and there's always been that, that concern in some ways that it's going to take something fairly significant for us generally as a, as a global population, or most of us anyway, to wake up and realise, hopefully not too late, mm. um, that things need to change. Mm. Yeah. Broken and shattered Fear soaked and battered Tongue-tied and special Crushed and divided on the 
center of the earth We will come and lay it down On the altar of the earth We will come and be turned round Alone and indifferent So you mentioned a bit of a bit about your work with Edmund Rice Education yeah. Australia. Yes. And throughout your career as an educator, it seems like you've done some pretty innovative uh, programs mm. that have probably had a big influence. But before we go on to talk about that work yeah. that you you're currently on. Tell us a bit about some of your travels and experiences and study, because I know you have studied some very interesting things. Yeah. Um, so uh, the thread to the first um, journey out into the world in terms of study was um, after um, the World Youth Day experience and being informed about the whole universe story and following that, moving into Catholic Earth Care in 2010. Um, I just I did a, a little bit of travel and, and that coincided with some uh, study at Boston College and um, I've always really really um, been attracted to the work of uh, Richard Raw and he led a week's um, retreat at Boston and that was fantastic. Um, I was there for a week or two and then I went to um, to California and I uh, studied for a week at a at summer school at Holy Names University, which is where Brian Swim uh, was teaching. And uh, there was another lady, Kathleen, Kathleen Dynan, I think her name is. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few other uh, teachers, wisdom figures, really in the whole area of the universe story. Um, and that was just a deep immersion in, in that, line of thought um and you know and also i suppose you meet others along the way and it's not only the people who are teaching it's the people who come to be mm-hmm. to listen to these people um and you meet them and it just becomes a part of the experience um then i went to uh, in the same trip over to the uk and i had a week at um, a place called findhorn in uh, the north of scotland for what they call the experience week Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that might have been. Yeah, I also I went to Ireland just for a couple of days and um, traced a little bit of family history, and um, so that was great. Oh, but, nice. um, yeah, that, that was um, just uh, as I said before, an immersion in 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 this line of thought, and and also place. Um, you know, I always remember that, particularly in Ireland, and I'm a great lover of the poet David White. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of what he writes about is reflected in the, the landscape of Ireland, and I can, could see that. So that was wonderful. Yeah. You don't have it, happen to have any of David White's poetry with you, do you? I, I do. I can, I, well, <laughs> yes. Um, there's some amazing poems that mm. he writes. Yeah, I can. I've got one here at my fingertips. Oh, please share. Okay, now um, 
this one. Do you have you heard of him? Uh, indeed, yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan too. <laughs> uh, yes, I'll read this one. Um, so this is a cracking poem, and um, it's called Coleman's Bed. So here it is. Make a nesting now, a place to which the birds can come. Think of Kevin's prayerful palm holding the blackbird's egg and be the one looking out from this place who warms interior forms into light. Feel the way the cliff at your back gives shelter to your outward view. And then bring in from those horizons all discordant elements that seek a home. Be taught now among the trees and rocks how to discard it is woven into the shelter. Learn the way things hidden and unspoken slowly proclaim their voice in the world. Find that far inward symmetry to all outward appearances. Apprentice yourself to yourself. Begin to welcome back all you sent away. Be a new enunciation. Make yourself a door through which to be hospitable, even to the stranger in you. See with every turning day how each season makes a child of you again. Want you to become a seeker after rainfall and birdsong. Watch now how it weathers you to a testing in the tried and true, admonishes you with each falling leaf to be courageous to be something that has come through, to be the last thing you want to see before you leave the world. Above all, be alone with it all, a hiving off, a corner of silence amidst the noise, refuse to talk even to yourself and stay in this place until the current of the story is strong enough to float you out. Ghost then to where others in this place have come before, under the hazel, by the ruined chapel below the cave where Coleman slept. Become the source that makes the river flow and then the sea beyond. Live in this place as you are meant to and then surprised by your abilities, become the ancestor of it all, the quiet, robust and blessed saint that your future happiness will always remember. Thank you so much. Does that poem carry any particular significance for you in your life? Yeah, very much so. Um, just that sense of um, what's always struck me about that poem and why I went to it when you asked if I had any David White, White poems handy. That call, that sense of... Um, The, the, the invitation to make an enunciation of what's true within each of us uh, and to, to, call, to call back that that might have been lost. Um, and as he says in that poem, that sense of um, being let out by a current that's within you. Um, so that... that those sentiments that he's hinting at there very much um, 
resonate with me. And I think what I value about what is Naomi, if I was to describe it, is there's a strong, um, there's a spirituality in that. And there's a spirituality of, of, um, of becoming, you know, of having, there are times when we need to rest, to wait and to um, be patient and allow yourself to be led back to a sense of home. Um, and that takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of um, capacity to sit in stuff that um, is a bit rough and, um, and, and, and just difficult. And I think he's naming um, that there is something that's far deeper than any of those troubles, um, but that you have to at times wait for um, something other within you to, to be the current that drags you out and back to, what's, to what is beyond what might um, be holding you back. So, yeah, there's something of that um, quality of, um, of recognising being broken, but knowing there's something much, much bigger and knowing that that will, that will lead you out um, and, and lead you back home. Yeah. As I listen to you, I'm, I'm imagining that there must have been some pretty huge experiences in your life that, have enabled you to have these insights and resonate with those insights. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's um, I mean, look, the sheer fact that we're human, we all experience a whole range of things, and um, and that's been the case. And and one of the, you know, the most uh, impactful experiences for me has been, you know, the the traumatic rupture of um, at a, a pretty young age of. Um, losing uh, a sister and um, losing a grandmother and almost losing a mother in a car accident when I was, you know, pretty tender at seven and eight. And, um, you know, that's, that has had a really, really significant um, impact on me and, and in terms of that whole sense of um, just how we emerge as, as selves, as people, you know? Um, and so that, that's had a really deep wounding on me and has had an impact on, on my life. And I suppose, you know, as I've gone and, and followed these steps mentioned to you at the start, you know, I've had a, had the opportunity to be um, in, in a dynamic as a young, young boy, in a family that was surrounded by um, the Catholic structure of parish and school and, and that that felt like you belonged to something and that, that has held me. Um, as well as this deep fracturing and, and the capacity to, to reconcile that um, has been a real journey. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned before about study, um, one of the things that I have been studying that has given me it's like this sense of that David White poem the sense of the current that's dragging me out um, is that whole sense of um, that notion of faith seeking understanding that I've been led by that to really 
explore and research what I have experienced in terms of the impact of trauma, which for me has been a really strong sense of um, disembodiment. So, you know, you just, uh, um, it's something that can make you feel, um, yeah, you, yeah, there's just that sense of um, not being at home in yourself, which is really a sense of protection. And so, um, that's had its way. And so I've gone in and started to really look into this. And, and what I've discovered is um, the impact of trauma. Um, and when we look at that scientifically, there's this whole world opening up through neuroscience around um, what they call interpersonal, big term, interpersonal neurobiology. But basically what it's saying is um, that, that we have the capacity to to mirror one another and the way that we turn up to one another has an impact. It imprints, we imprint each other on, on ourselves. And, and so um, I've started to deeply explore this whole field of embodiment, what that means from a spiritual perspective, um, what it means to have an encounter with pretty significant traumatic impact and its subsequent effect. And to make sense of that, you know, to ask questions, well, where is God and this and all that, those deep questions. Um, that's been part of my journey, which has really just been an attempt to make sense of what I've lived. All yeah. out the anger, all the pain, all out the pride and hurt and shame. and rage all of our twisted wicked ways make me you're opening up to an, a more earthy spirituality and the mysteries of the universe mm. nurture, has nurtured you in that journey as well? Yeah, I would. Um, and the reason why I would say that is because um, it, the, the experience that, that I've had can make you feel, um, and still does in lots of respect, can you feel quite alone you can feel quite um so contained by what you're feeling that uh, you feel quite different to to others um even though as i said it's a strong human condition um so it can be quite solitary but i think what it, if i was reflecting on it in terms of connection to the earth and that is that my, my sense would be that um in feeling that when I go out and I walk, for example, um, even though I'm having this experience that can be quite solitary, it's being out and in the presence of creation that uh, even though it might not come to me at the time, I go out there to walk because there's something about being in the presence of the natural world that, um, 
you can be you can be with the, the world doesn't ask questions of you um you don't have to turn up in any other way than the way you are and so um the sheer um reality of that means that you can be seen as you are and so you can turn up um and you know it's like in that poem the david white poem that you know it talks about being take see how the things of of the natural world are in their place and see how they take form and shape and that you know the it will float you out so there is a wisdom in the natural world that can sustain and hold any any way in which we might turn up to it and maybe part of this thing that we were talking about before in terms of the gap of where we're being led by earth song or where we were being led is part of that gap part of the wisdom to fall into is actually to trust the wisdom of the planet um to hold us and it's not so much you know that we're not we're not any wiser than the planet at all we know that um so there is a suppose my response would be that there is a wisdom um, in the world, in, in nature, that, that I might not feel at the time when I'm feeling like I need to go out and go for a walk, but the sheer fact that I'm wanting to do that and wanting to be in, in a particular place such is suggestive of there is something about nature that holds us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and um, coming out of your this expression of, of allowing the current of the river yeah. to take you, um, I know that you have in recent years developed uh, the poetic depths inside of you to reveal your inner life, yeah. as well as your musical yeah. side. Yeah. Uh, you're a musician, great singer-songwriter. Yes. Um, so is that something that well, why why was that hidden for so long and and, and why is it coming uh, it's really interesting i mean that's you know I mean, we could talk for a day <laughs> about that because i think there's a lot in that <laughs> um and this again it's david white at the risk of taking us off on another track um david white i've been in a room when he's spoken about this he talks about um another big word that I've just recently sort of made sense of phenomenology of molting, M-O-L-T-I-N-G, and, and the whole sense of loss and, and disappearance and what lies hidden and what's shown. And so I think for me, the whole sense of the music and the poetry, um, it's always been there. It's a very natural way of, you know, it just happens. I just, I can create melody and I can write words. They come, um, but there is there is something about my my uh, comfort, I suppose, and uh, capacity to just allow that to be and be seen, for whatever reason. That's just again, um, those people who are familiar with um, the, with their own trauma or the or knowing of trauma studies know that um, one of the things that trauma can rob you of is the capacity to give voice to things that you feel. Mm. Um, and so that's a real source of frustration because um, you have these intuitions, you have the, your innate sense of things, but sometimes it's really difficult to name it 
because quite literally neurobiologically in all other ways um, you're limited and that's not to say that that's forever but that's one of the the, the traits as, as it certainly as I've experienced it um, so I don't know whether that's something that, that has meant that it hasn't um, been more seen um, you know uh, but I know that there's a greater capacity and willingness in me to to not hide it um, and to just let it be you know it doesn't have to be anything other than what it is but it certainly is an attempt for me to make sense of things and um, and I suppose I've got to hold it as mine you know and uh, and you give it out and, and it, whatever happens to it happens to it but um, yeah I think one of the things that's been probably not known or shown is because you know the the impact of a traumatic experience can be that that it takes you away from your capacity to voice it and interestingly again another discovery i've made through my research is a wonderful field of um, theopoetics which is basically from the way i understand it and and i'm appreciative of it is what that um, a lady called heather walton who's a uh, a great um, pioneer in the field of theopoetics talks about um, the capacity. Theopoetics is you won't express things in polished discourse, but it's it's the voicing of something uh, of deep rupture, and and so um, but it's a voicing, right? And it might be polished, um, but it needs to be heard, and it will be expressed in the way that the person expressing it can express it. So um, that coming across those sorts of things was 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 really quite life giving and um, yeah it just empowers and emboldens you a bit. My neighbour is the rain. My neighbour is the droughts and flood and rains. The rivers as they run. The mountains as they rise. The ever growing hay. And uh, as I listen to you and all of the depths that you've gone to in your life, mm. it's amazing for me to think that now you're able to influence so many young people uh, mm. through so many Edmund Rice schools. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to hear about some of your, some of your really innovative programs, especially to do with integral ecology. Yeah. So, um, 2015 when Ladado C was released at the end of that year or just after it was announced um, EREA I mean and it's always at schools in particular you know have always had a strong sense of doing something for the earth um, but uh, what I saw in in the organization's response was an intent to do something across the organization and um, so with that so once the you know the gun went off, I thought, here we go, it was an opportunity. And um, what I was very keen to sort of seed was this idea that um, it can't just be, or it can, but I don't think it's necessarily the right response to, to just make it practical in terms of, you know, all our schools have got worm farms, um, we're putting solar panels, on, and that's absolutely essential. We need to do that. But I think the great capacity for sh the shift that's needed is that classic sense of you know the heart and minds need to change and so there's a strong need to be educated there's a strong need to try and provide 
education experiences that create the space for encounter and, and so um, one of the things we tried to set up um, was some guiding principles around our anything to do with an ecological response from the REA. So we talk about this idea of um, central to our work would be the notion of integral ecology because we could sense in that that it really provided the opportunity to change us at the core where it needs to be changed. So um, we have, have taken that on board as one of the guiding principles. And so the Integral Ecology Project, which kicked off this year really, um, is that we're in the first phase of that now across our schools. Um, now the pandemic's impacted on that a little bit, but essentially what we're doing is in this first phase is this notion of a scan across the country. So we've got 55 schools um, and we're actually going out across, not each of those schools individually, but representations of those schools to basically scan and say, where are people at as a community with understanding what do we mean by integral ecology? You know, um, and get a sense of what that is. Ask them, you know, what, how do they want to learn about it? What do they need to know about it? Um, that's the first phase. And then we harness all of that information and get a sense of what's needed and then go again in 2021 to build some resources and um, initiatives that deepen integral ecology. Now, um, it's hard to know what that will mean, um, but we're hoping that we'll get some data through this year. And it, it's, who knows, who knows what it, what it will lead to, but um, the intention is, and I, the, I actually have a strong sort of visual metaphor for this, is that um, what the integral ecology is, is part of a bigger initiative called ECHO across EREA. So the idea being that we've got these 55 schools right across the country, and what is it for that group of schools to actually become its own ecosystem of care? So, and, and the echo bit, you know, obviously many ecology, but echo literally is in what are we hearing from one another um, across, across the country and how do we learn together? Um, so that's, that's the vision for it. And um, hopefully that vision provides that, and back to that sense of the current leading us out, um, you know, it will only come about where we need to go through the way we come together collectively to discern what's possible. Um, so that's, that's, that's the, that's the hope and we've started on that. So, um, and because we're national, um, it's, and, and I got, you know, a, a reasonable number of schools and therefore young people and then people connected to that. It's a pretty significant volume of people. Um, so hopefully with that volume of people that there's, we can be empowered to make significant change. I've got a few questions that are arising about all of this. It's, firstly, it's so exciting um, to hear this sense of an ecosystem of care. You know, it's not just the solar panels and the word farm, it's, it's actually how does Earth inspire us to care for one another better yep. and um and perhaps even nurture our spirit yeah uh is this how is this going down with your say traditional religious education curriculum 
Yeah, um, it's it's really interesting, um, Sally, because what I'm what I sense is there is an appetite for it, um, and I'm not seeing I'm not getting a feel for much resistance um, in terms of a more conservative or traditional perspective. Um, and in fact, one of the things I would say is that it's really interesting. Like there are pockets. There are pockets of school communities that are really leading the way. Um, and then there are some pockets that we just don't know of yet. Um, there are, I mean, the other, the other sort of point that's part of this ecosystem of care is the young people themselves. And um, this growing capacity for being advocates. And I suppose, you know, in this ecosystem, how much the elders act like elders and um, give space for the young people to actually, in some ways, lead the way. I mean, I know I've, I hear from a lot of young people about, you know, this tendency sometimes to say, you tell us um, what you want us to do or you lead us. That I hear a lot of young people say, well, it's not just us, we need you, you know, it needs to be in partnership. Um, so I like the notion of ecosystem because it gives space for everybody in the ecosystem from their perspective to contribute. So young people bringing their passion, advocacy, um, their capacity to shift, hopefully, um, new ways of educating, new ways of living, uh, for educators to be flexible enough and agile enough to respond to that. You know, what what does an education system look, look like that um, is led by the environment and not by, you know, um, academic achievement performance? I mean, that's a huge question. Um, so I don't know. It's but I, I, what I hope, I think my view of success would be that that, that questions like the one I just named would be taken seriously. Mm. And is that something that you're able to measure? Is that something that you'll eventually be? Uh, I think we can, mm. because uh, one of the things I mean back to science and what um, you know science is revealed this universe story. Science has been something that's kept us as safe as we can be during the pandemic. Science also is moving to the point where data can help inform the, what the world that we create. So if you think about that idea of uh, a, a national ecosystem across EREA and, and the schools that we involve, and people get quite excited about this possibility of, you know, let's imagine that we were able to measure our capacity of recycling waste, for example, and we get a, a metric on what we've yeah. saved over year on year. Um, I mean, that's one example. And then you track that over time and you push that out. And um, so that's one measure of that, but then that's reduced this, this amount of um, emissions uh, or that we've used the stuff to create this and that went to, you know, um, people in in Africa who are able to use it for something, you know, and, and we have the capacity now to measure the impact of all of those things. Um, 
let's say um, the sky's the limit in lots of ways. And, um, you know, I just think we need to sort of, again, to quote Richard Raw, uh, he often says we need to get ourselves out of the way. And I think in some ways that really resonates with the future that, that we're being called into. We need to get ourselves out of the way. We need to get out, get away from the way of living that has supposedly, you know, that has, you know, kept us dominating the earth. Um, get it, get that, get out of the way. And it speaks to, you know, um, the quote that I've, one of the things that I've always loved, uh, if I have to say one of the most, one or two pieces of um, wisdom that has stayed with me from the elders that are, uh, have revealed to us the spirit of the universe story. Uh, Teilhard de Chardin's quote about, you know, um, that sense of uh, someday after mastering the winds, the waves, the tides and gravity, we shall harness for God the energies of love. And that will be like finding, fi discovering fire again. Um, get ourselves out of the way and give over to that, that the energy that, that is there and, um, everything will be fine. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like there's never been a better time to hear yeah. that quote. Yeah, that's an amazing, yeah. Yeah. it's just so, yeah, it's rich, mm. yeah. Mm. And your, um, your song, um, The Altar of Earth, yep. was inspired by Teilhard too. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that? So I think it actually might have been that, Mulgoa, and I was talking about Mulgoa before, and um, it might have been the same same retreat. And uh, we were opened up to the story about Tehard uh, when he offered this mass on the world. I think, mm -hmm. and he talked about um, you know, I, I, all I have is this. All I have is uh, I bring bring our pains and sorrows and. Uh, to the table and we lay it down and um, it struck me and it led to, you know, this notion that I wrote about in, in the song, Order of the Earth, that keeps this refrain going around, um, lay it down. And um, so, yeah, it was just, there was something in that, in that wisdom that uh, of surrendering and, and turning up as we are, and this is all we've got. Um, but we're not alone. You know, we are in communion with with this planet, um, and and we're sustained by you know the way I would call it, name it is this, this sense of God. Um, and Tehard talks about you know the energies of God. Um, and that our capacity, I think, to surrender to that um, is what's needed. On that note, I think I'd better let you take off, but what a wonderful note to end on. Thank uh, you. It really yeah. is what's needed now. Yeah, yeah um, it is. And thank you for the opportunity to, to cross the, well, I know we've crossed the threshold, but we're on <laughs> threshold with you. So thanks. It's been great.
Yeah, and all the very, very best with your visionary work with uh, Edmund Rice Education. Yeah. Thanks, Sally. Threshold's podcast is part of a suite of resources on integral ecology produced by the Institute of the Sisters of Mercy of Australia and Papua New Guinea. For more information about our work, please visit www.ismapng.org.au. I'm Sally Neves coming to you from Wiradjuri country in the central west of New South Wales, Australia.